Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. I am very excited for this week's episode. Uh, I can't really describe it. It's um, This was a really big get for me, honestly. Uh, I really love the podcast All Fantasy Everything. And a key member of that podcast is comedian Sean Jordan. Uh, he was really cool to set up a time with me and I got to talk to him for this week's episode. I'm really grateful for that. I'm also just excited to ring in a whole different vibe with, uh, well, things are still getting figured out, but the election uh, went the way that I and most decent people think it should have gone. And I'm just excited that this is the first episode to come out after we learned that uh, last Saturday. So uh, you'll see why. Sean's a really good vibe. His whole group with All Fantasy Everything is known by fans as the Good Vibes Gang. Uh, I'm just excited to put this episode out. Uh, this is kind of why I do the podcast, and I was really happy to do this one. So enough of gushing like that. Uh, Sean Jordan's a comedian. He has an album called The Buck Starts Here. You can find it on Spotify and other places. Uh, his podcast with Ian Carmel and David Borey is called All Fantasy Everything. You should definitely check that out. kind of want to shout out that whole All Fantasy Everything related universe, the guys that faded and Sean Jordan stuff. Yeah, uh, I will get right into the episode. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sean Jordan. Thank you. Everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. Today I'm talking to a very funny comedian, Sean Jordan. He is an integral part of the one of my favorite podcasts, All Fantasy Everything. Uh, he also has an album out, um, The Buck Starts Here. You can find that on Spotify and some other ways where you can actually give him some money for it. Um, so Sean, welcome to the podcast and hello. Well, hey, thanks for having me, man. This is exciting and uh, I'm I'm thrilled to get into the questions. Yeah. Uh, Sean, where are you talking to us from? I know you kind of boogied out of LA when things got weird. Where are you at yeah. right now? I'm in the great state of Oregon right now, coming to you from Portland. It's not a war zone, like everybody thinks. It's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I don't know if I'd say I boogied out of LA, but it was kind of, I was going to move back at some point because my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, lives here. So it's like, you know, I... I think I left LA like the day before quarantine. I, I probably shouldn't have been flying if we're being honest, but I yeah. did. And um, I got here and it was like a weekend. I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm here. And then I just mm. moved all my stuff back. Yeah. Uh, and then I've been seeing on Instagram, it seems like you're spending the time well, at least. You've been uh, <laughs> getting back yeah. into skateboarding. I mean, it, the way I see it, people are going one of two ways. And mm. I could easily go the get hammered every day route. That's yeah. probably what I would have been doing if I weren't up here. But um, yeah, I've been skating every day. I've been walking a bunch. Uh, go to bed early, get up early. You know, 
Working on the temple, my man. Yeah. Uh, I think I started that way. Then as it wore on, it kind of hit like a lazier patch, but um, trying to get back into it. And then like I teach at a university. So the, with the quarter being back going, I kind of have to keep a more regular schedule. So that kind of helps. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's kind of inspiring to see you were just kind of saying like, I've been, I heard you on AFE kind of saying you're getting back into skating. But then over the last few months, you really like you're hitting some pretty complicated tricks and yeah i mean thank you so <laughs> i was i was really good back in the day i was pretty good at and i won't say that a lot i'm not an asshole i've only been good at three things i was good at taekwondo i was good at skateboarding and stand up comedy those are the mm. only three things i would say that i'm good at everything else i was terrible every sport so i had a lot of the stuff is like in the in my head but it's just you know you just got to make yourself do it and then once you do it it, it comes back pretty easy. And you just have to be regimented. Like, thank God the queen has been making me eat vegetables and things. So it's, yeah. you know, that shit. That helps. Some cauliflower, mm. some greens in there every now and again. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to force the metaphor or whatever, but I just kind of wondered if you think there's... Because skateboarding is you have to fail just thousands of times before you before yeah. you nail a trick. So I'm wondering, does it is there any connection with stand-up? Because what, what do you think about it? Yeah, I agree. It's funny. You're delayed just a little bit. So when I started talking, your lips were still moving. And it, it, was, it was just fun for me. Oh, our video. You know, I might... Oh, it's no, it doesn't matter. I was just, yeah, yeah. I was just pointing it out. Yeah. Um, there is. I, you know, I think, I think Seinfeld and Chris Rock talked about that. And that was kind of like Seinfeld talked about skateboarders and that, just that uh, similarity. But it is. I mean, you try and try and try a joke. I've had some in the notebook for years. And then one day you just, something happens, you either write it correctly or you you do it the right way, you say something that you never thought of, and then you're just like, oh, why why didn't I just do that? Same thing with a trick on a skateboard, you just make yourself do it, and then when you do it, it seems like you should have been able to do it the whole time, but, you know, that's growth, that's what that is, it's just, yeah, it's so, I, I will say that it's equally as rewarding, like when you land a trick and you... Uh, I don't want to say do a bit the right way, but like if everything just hits, like if it's a perfect storm, good crowd, you're feeling it, it's a good show, and then you just go and you do what you want to do, that feeling, I don't know, you can't really, in my experience, you can't really get anything like that. I'm sure there's other things. I'm sure somebody who would, like a football player would say scoring a touchdown is the same thing, but mm. for me, that feeling that you have when you come off stage, you just, you know that most people you know, that it's, it's scary. It's scary for a lot of people to try. And so that just feels great. You feel good about yourself because you can do it and you did it. And yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I first uh, learned about you and heard your stand up uh, when I started listening to All Fantasy Everything. Uh, listeners of this podcast definitely could check out All Fantasy Everything if you don't know. But I feel like uh, everybody I talk to <laughs> who's a big fan of comedy, especially in LA, knows about AFE. And then... That's great. Uh, how there's kind of a crazy story with that i think right because you know i think it was ian carmel's podcast first and he had you and david borion and then eventually you guys became recurring guests so what was kind of the story with uh did you just want to try out a couple episodes and help out ian and then how did it snowball from there yeah uh i mean i lived with him so when it was new because it's you know I, I have to be i always try to be super clear about this 
it's absolutely his idea and his show. He started mm. it, did everything. Um, and a couple, I think a couple like guests fell out a couple times or something. And I'd just be sitting in my room and he was like, hey, you want to come do my podcast? And I said, sure, of course I do. That means we get to hang out. We're best friends. And then I think, I forget which one, but David and Ian and I all did it together. And it was, it, I don't know, something just kind of clicked. And I knew... I don't remember my friendship with David prior to that as much. I mean, we were friends, obviously, but I don't remember any like defining moments. But it just seems like after that, we just started hanging out all the time. And then mm. we did two or three together over the course of like probably two months. And then it just kind of just kind of started to be the three of us. And it's much, I feel like it's much easier for everyone involved that way because it's like, you know, you can share the workload. Like I'm, I'm not busy. You know, I don't do I don't do anything. Ian is extraordinarily busy. So that mm. means that I can I can help. I can do some stuff. I can help with scheduling and booking and things. So I think it's easier to only have to book one person too. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's how it started, man. It's it was all just kind of good friends and clicking. And then there we go. Yeah, I think it's just from a fan's perspective. I think it's grown so much. Uh, you guys have had some live streamed episodes uh in the past few months yeah dude that uh, i think you fun. hit your 200th episode <laughs> yeah we're at two i think today we're recording 206 that's crazy because that's like that's four years you know mm. you don't think about it it, it goes it just kind of goes by and then before you know it you're like oh i've done this every week for four years pretty pretty rad yeah, and I don't want to botch the explanation of it, but for listeners that haven't heard All Fantasy Everything, um, Ian Carmel, Sean Jordan here, uh, David Bory, and a guest uh, will try to draft items. Don't, don't botch as it. If, don't botch it. As if it's in a... Uh, see, now I feel the pressure you feel don't trying, you to, botch <laughs> trying to explain it. the draft. Let's uh, go. Let's go. They are trying to draft items within a specific category. So just an example of one of my favorite episodes was words that make you sound smart. Uh, so an example of that would be like the word basically. Oh, and see, so as I explain it, doesn't sound uh, as nearly as amazing as it is to listen to uh, how they handle that format. So uh, maybe, Sean, you have a better uh, way to explain it. You nailed it, man. I mean, that's we just do... Like Ian said, it's an excuse just to sit and be funny, but we got to have something to focus on. So we just do a fantasy draft of every anything that there is. So, you know, if you don't know what a fantasy draft is, it's just like in a sport, you fantasy, you, t you get your fantasy team together. So you pick all the best players, you kind of cherry pick. But if somebody's already been picked, then you can't have them. We just do that with different things like words that make you sound smart or the Taco Bell menu. And it is really fun. It's like a very interesting way to structure a conversation and then people can uh, kind of share their personality and then riff off of those things. It's just a really great format that uh, Ian has come up with um, and really amazing. And then part of what is added onto it, sort of an intangible thing, is the chemistry you guys have. Uh, you're all very positive. The kind of catch-all term for this group of comics is that people say the good vibes gang. Because uh, there is just an overwhelming positivity that comes from it. And I just wanted to share, because I have you here, like my experience with first learning about the podcast. I, um, I'm a PhD student, 
and I was fortunate to, I got a grant to go up to Stanford. They have the Hoover Institution, which is just archives of government documents and things. Okay. And I was up there in 2018 and I had to be there for two weeks and I just had to be in the archives all day. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts and then the wildfires, um, this, I think the ones up in like wine country that were real bad that year. So scary. Uh, kicked off. So similar to now, but uh, they, uh, this, the air quality was so bad you couldn't go outside. So I'm kind of in an Airbnb or in an archive. It's dark outside all day, yeah. super depressed. And then I stumble upon uh, this super funny, super positive podcast. And then when I'm alone at the Airbnb, I just found myself having my headphones in and just... Um, I'm in a big house, like an Airbnb where no one was there because of the fires uh-huh. and a uh, big, creepy old house by myself. But the thing that's keeping me kind of sane is listening to the whole back catalog of, uh, <laughs> AFE. So it was, it's, Good. you know, people have gone through much worse, obviously. Amen. Um, and they probably tell you those kind of stories about what the podcast got them through, yeah. but that's just kind of my experience. I was just like, I love the positivity. This is hilarious. Um, and it became uh, my favorite podcast. So, yeah, I wonder, you've probably had a lot of interaction with people reaching out to you, telling you it's been a positive influence in their life, I imagine. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm excited that you got into it. That's fun. I'm glad we got to keep you company in that big-ass house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, people reach out, and it's nice. I always encourage people to do that because a lot of the... I don't know why, but a lot of the emails or whatever, uh, DMs, they'll start off with like, uh, you know, I'm sorry for doing this or, or whatever. And it's like, oh, it's amazing. That's every single one of those that, that I get to read or we get to read. It's, it makes, it like gives me goosebumps if we help anyone through anything. Cause it's just like anything, music or whatever. It's just whatever hits you at a certain point in your life or time that it, it can affect you in a, in a very positive way. And we've had people say we've got them through everything to like death to like breaking a finger. So it's like, it definitely mm-hmm. runs the gamut Yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. Any, anything that helps that is the whole goal in my eyes of stand up, entertainment, anything like this is to do that. It's not, you know, it's nice to make a living, but that's never been the point. The point is like when you go start stand up or whatever is to make people feel good. And so if this podcast makes people feel good, then I am fucking for it, my man. Yeah, definitely. And then kind of related in the, I would sort of say it's in the AFE universe. Uh, then I, once I heard the podcast and realized uh, you guys were promoting the show Faded, um, which was run in LA for maybe two years. Still um, doing it. The- I mean, they're, they're doing it. It's It's tapering off a bit, but we do Zoom every week. I haven't been mm-hmm. on in a couple months, but... Yeah, it was a stand-up show weekly in LA, and it's super, again, one of those, like, we wanted people to feel comfortable, nobody gets picked on, nobody, you know, no, sh- no like, crowd work calling people out for whatever, nothing like that, it's just all positivity, good vibes, and a fun, nice show where we all get to hang out afterwards and all that. Mm. Yeah, I've said on a few episodes of this show, because they'll have people talk about where are their favorite places to see stand-up, and uh, Faded was definitely the show that I found uh, where I feel the best. You had incredible lineups. Um, oh, you like said, you said, did you come to like the Blue Rooster shows? Oh, yeah, I've been to maybe oh, five dude. or six. Um, awesome. I've been in and, out of, in and out of LA before the pandemic started, but um, 
yeah it's it sucks because i i was like i found the show like every friday just about every friday i know that this will be there and you guys move to the new room yeah um but then you know we were at where we're at with things kind of being on pause and i watched some of the online uh streams too and i think that was just kind of a nice thing when the quarantine started to kind of feel like totally. we're in this together and none of us knew what we were doing like that i mean the world so it's like yeah when we started those those first weekly zooms it was definitely for us too we're like we need some i need something to focus on every week because it yeah. seemed i don't know it's you know it's still is obviously tough but i feel like everyone's kind of settling into their groove and figuring out how they're gonna sustain and operate so that was definitely nice to have though in the beginning like something to do yeah and you could kind of check in with it was yeah it'll be forever burned in my brain of uh, my memories of when the pandemic started of, uh, well, I guess faded's online this week and we'll see what it's like. It sucked because I was out of town for months and I was, I got back right when everything shut down. So I was so ready to get back and see some stand up, and then it's at where we're at, but everybody's making it work how they can. Yeah. I can kind of transition then into the questions I ask everybody. Uh, what was your earliest memory of liking stand-up? My earliest memory of liking stand-up is watching Gallagher on VH1. And mm. I I didn't know... I was I was little. And, you know, I, I just remember he had that giant couch with a trampoline. It was like <laughs> a big couch trampoline. And he was smashing watermelons and doing the whole Gallagher situation. And I remember just being like, oh, this is great. And I was, I gotta be, I, I was probably 10. I don't know. I was young. Mm. And then, so there's that. And then like stand up. Uh, I remember Matt Fulcheron's set on Comedy Central was hmm. one of the first ones that stuck out to me because I didn't, I never really pursued or, or wanted to be a comic or anything like that. I, w- I didn't watch it like my whole life. Like I have skating. It was just like something you kind of, I kind of just tripped into, but yeah, Matt Fultron did a set on Comedy Central. I remember it loving uh, when I was, I was a little older then. I was probably twenty or something, and I saw that and I was like, "Oh, that looks that looks great." But I had no idea of doing it or anything yet. But those are the first memories. Yeah, and you uh, talk a lot about one thing that kind of made me gravitate towards your comedy and things is you talk a lot about where you grew up, and you're from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, right? I am. They're they're really making it hard to claim that state right now. They're really, really trying to wipe their ass with all my positivity. Yeah. But that is where I'm from, and I love it there. I love my hometown, but boy, are they blowing it right now. Mm. I'm from Wisconsin, so there's an element of like sure. their governor is handling things well, but the general population is like I'm sure. anti-mask and whatever, yeah, so yeah. they're kind of blowing it on a different level yeah but that's just one thing i liked is you often you just like rep your city really hard um and you know there's there probably aren't many people coming out of sioux falls to then pursue comedy not a lot uh i you know there's a there's a couple from south dakota more sioux falls and i there i'm i don't want to I don't want to be a prick. There are comedians in town and everything. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's definitely a, a, a scene. It's growing, but there's a few South Dakota comp like Timmy Williams from the Whitest Kids. You know, he's a South Dakota boy. Mm. Uh, David Van Eisen, 
who's a fantastic comedian. He's a South Dakota boy. Um, not to say that there aren't women doing stand-up in South Dakota. I just don't know of any who came out. So, mm. yeah, it's it's working. I'm one of the people that got out first, I'll say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been fun. And then where did you go? Well, I guess, how did you start to decide you wanted to pursue that? And then where did you go to pursue it further? Well, with stand-up, I was at work. I worked at a call center, which I've done so much of my life, and I'm sure I'll do again. Mm-hmm. I was working at a call center, and they had a comedy contest on the radio, like, uh, you know, funniest person in Sioux Falls. And a buddy at work was just like, you should do that. You, you know, are funny. As funny as I was, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't like write a joke funny, but I was just confident, I guess. And I got drunk mm-hmm. a lot. So that equals funny when you're 20. Yeah. And uh, so I went and did this comedy contest and I stacked the room with all my friends. I brought like 170 people. It was something crazy. I brought so many people and they all voted for me. So then I made the finals and then in the finals, I ended up winning. And then that's kind of how I started. It was just just like that. It was kind of on accident. And then I did it until the club went out of business in Sioux Falls. And then I just kind of stopped. I, w- I was just done. And then uh, a friend who is a comedian came through Sioux Falls, Doug Benson. He came mm. through Sioux Falls and he was, we just kind of clicked early on. He was real nice to me. And he told me when he was there after I had stopped comedy for a while, he's like, you just got to move. You need to go somewhere, move, do something. Cause otherwise you're just never going to do anything. Yeah. So I had uh, some friends that had planned to move. They didn't know where they were moving, but they were just going to move. They were going to leave town. They were going to go to the coast. So I was like, if you go somewhere and get a place, then I will come there and I'll stay on the floor for a while or if you have a room, great. So they moved. They tried to go to like maybe LA and then San Francisco and then just kind of work their way up to Portland, got a place, had an extra room. And the job that I had at the time, I could transfer from Sioux Falls to Portland. So it was all extremely convenient for me. Mm. So that's what I did. I transferred and then started doing shows in Portland. And the, you know, dominoes just kind of started falling and it worked. Yeah. What, what years were you in Portland? I moved in uh, November of 2009. I know that because we always talk about 07, 09. July of mm. 2009 was the gnarliest month of like 10 of our lives. None of us had jobs. We were all like vagrants. We were young. And like, I don't know, we just, we saw the sun come up like every day in July that summer. Mm. So uh, anyway, November of 2009, I moved to Portland. And then I think I moved to LA March of 2016 and then just back to Portland recently. Do you consider coming from Sioux Falls, you consider that the Midwest? Is that what people say out there? That is a point of contention. I Mm. certainly consider it the Midwest. Um, Some people will have you believe that the Midwest cuts off at like, like Illinois mm-hmm. or like, cause some people don't even throw Wisconsin in there. They, they'll throw like Illinois, Ohio, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no Midwest to me is North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois. And then you can, you know, if you want, you can use like Indiana and Ohio. That yeah. Me I mean, I'm born and raised in Wisconsin and to think that there's anyone that would consider it not the Midwest is wild to me. I think we're the it's astonishing. Core. It's, yeah. It's, it's the most Midwestern shit. Like when you go to anywhere from like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, those those states to me are so goddamn Midwestern. It is it is sickening when you go there. I love it. But, mm. 
you just when I tell people I tell people like back home or that that where I'm from is like Fargo like the movie Fargo sometimes and they don't yeah. believe me and I'm like it is you find those people you find oh heck oh my god don't you know it's real yeah. and that's totally my hometown so yes definitely Midwest do you think that uh kind of upbringing and sort of mindset everybody's different obviously do you think that has carried over into the way you handle navigating like the stand-up world does it help you does it hurt you in ways uh did you ever think about your kind of your identity coming from the midwest and how it works out in la uh you know i never thought about it like i never uh, wanted to be uh midwest i guess i never really wanted that to be a personality or anything just mm-hmm. kind of worked out because after a while, like, it's kind of funny to rep where you're from in a certain way when you're not from, like, L.A. or New York, you know, when you when you have this weird pride of where you're from, but it's kind of a small town or smaller town, it just starts off being kind of funny, and then mm-hmm. the older I got, the more I was, like, serious, like, no, it's fun, it's, you need to embrace where you're from. I hit a, I kind of hit this point where there was no such thing as, like, a guilty pleasure, or there was no, like, ironically thinking this is cool it was just i like what i like and i i'm gonna claim what i claim and so i genuinely am proud for the most part of where i'm from and i think it produces good people so for me that's yeah i just i like saying i'm from i like repping my hometown because i feel like it deserves it 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 did me well maybe this question has something to do with when you got more into stand-up, but where was your best place to see stand-up what are some of your favorite places it could be the uh the venue the location or maybe a type of show a type of room like club versus a smaller alt show what, what's your in your mind when i ask what's your best place to see stand-up what is conjured i i mean i like i've always enjoyed the whole vibe of a club of a club but mm. it's got to be it's got to be the right club which is hard because i when you do stand up for a while at least me, I get real, I get real picky and real paranoid about certain things. Like if I see one person coming in, like if they're in line, you can tell if they're going to fuck the show up or not. Nine Uh times out of 10, you're right. So like if I see somebody in line, uh, it doesn't matter, man, woman, whatever. If anybody who is just being obnoxious, belligerent, and you can tell that they're not going to calm down, it's just, it, it sullies my whole experience. I, it, it really bums me out, but there's certain clubs that really nip it. Like Acme in Minneapolis is great. Comedy mm. on State in Madison is fantastic. Helium in Portland is fantastic. So those are ideally my favorite places to see it. And it's fun when you can when you get a comic who's right on the cusp, right mm. when they're about to be done doing those shows, because from what I've found, they have a fan base big enough to where you're not just going to get that person who like, um, I don't know, I'm going to go to the comedy show tonight. They don't just do that. You do, if somebody's big enough to sell out a club... They have people that are like, I'm going to go see Nate Bargetsy tonight specifically. Or I'm going to go see Beth Stelling because that's who I want to see. So mm. if we're, you know, I know I'm getting real picky, but if we're getting real, really down to it, my favorite kind of stand-up to see is in a club with somebody who has enough draw to to easily sell out the club and is almost going to theaters because that way people are kind of fighting for the tickets. They, mm. they want to see that person and they're going to be respectful the whole show for the most part. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah, that is, like you think it's picky, but that I think you nailed something about the stage and the career where someone's at and the kind of crowd they gather. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is like I'm kind of working through, I have to kind of unlearn my anti-club bias, but it's like you said that it really matters which club. 
because I kind of totally. think of club and more of a dickhead vibe, but the it definitely matters on the lineup, right? So then I kind of wonder you for like just for very vague purposes, I would just say you're a very we talked about good vibes gang, we talked about positivity. You're just Absolutely. a nice guy and a nice stage presence, a nice uh you have a nice brand of comedy. And I wondered that it's got to get weird sometimes when you're touring, right? Cuz the clubs there's kind of a different vibe, I think. Yeah, uh thank you again. And definitely yeah, I, I, me personally, when I do stand up, I don't like to, if I'm going to make fun of something or someone, it's going to be me and I'm going to point out things in myself. I'm, I think it's fine to be self-deprecating as long as you're not actually feeling sorry for, for me anyways. I just, I don't actually feel sorry for myself. I might talk a little shit about myself. I don't like making fun of other people. I don't like anyone who lashes out like that. I don't like picking on people in the crowd. But if it needs to happen, it can happen. I mean, if someone's heckling, it's like I just kind of skip the part where I parry and joust, and I'll give them a couple like, hey, what'd you say? And then I'll talk back, but it's never mean. And then after a while, it's just like, hey, shut the fuck up. Leave. Mm-hmm. And then I'll stop and then, you know, get a little pissy, serious, and then I'll apologize to everybody else and then keep the show going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not like a big uh, you need to prove yourself with crowd work because that's not part of the job people think it is and that's not something we should be required to do it's mm. something a lot of comedians just naturally can do because that's why you get into stand-up is because you're just naturally kind of funny and quick and sharp but it is definitely not a part of the job that anybody should be required to do so if you're at a club they should be taking care of that because they have job that's a job somebody is paid to stop that shit and it's not the comedian so i like the clubs that keep that under control so you can just have a pure enjoying experience where Mm. you know nobody's puking in their pint glasses and like talking shit to the comic and the wait staff actually having fun so Mm. a good club i uh i hear so many comics say they like uh comedy on state in madison wisconsin and it makes them very proud what what are they doing right what is it exactly (laughs) they always pack the room and this is just kind of what a good club does they build a reputation and I, I kind of referenced it earlier, but sometimes when people go see stand-up, they go to see the comedian. So, And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you get into new people. But uh, what Comedy on State did, is, the, and like a lot of clubs in, around the country, they've gotten enough good comedians where when people go to see the comedian now, they know that whoever they go see is going to be fantastic because mm. the club doesn't book any stinkers. You know, they mm-hmm. They always book it right they curate the lineups well they have features that could easily headline but they make you wait a while to headline they have mcs that could easily feature they have headliners that could easily do theaters so they're they just they really stack the lineups they're great with the crowd they they you don't get away with heckling or anything not to say you can't like laugh loud and maybe give a little like a little feedback to the comic but it has to be within reason and you have to be cool about it no heckling they're great about it. They always fill the room. So it's always like 300 people. Mm. And that is a huge trickle-down effect because if the better the audience is, the more fun the comic will have, the more fun the comic has, the more fun the crowd will have, the more fun they have, the more they'll tip. The more they tip, the better the wait staff does, the better the services, the more they can give the bartenders. All the way down to the stronger the drinks are, the better the reviews are, the better mm-hmm. the online reviews are, all of it. It's all, It's it, to me, it's all around like the crowd and 
having them have a good time because then everybody else ramps up. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to, I could finally ask somebody uh, to break it down. I think you hit on all the dynamics involved. It's interesting. It sucks that we can't travel right now because I went there a couple (laughs) of times when I would visit because I visit Wisconsin like twice a year. So I wanted to get Uh back there. Uh, What kind of show feels like an away game for you? And what kind of show feels like a home game? Uh, You know, there's harder ones like, the shows that are tough are the ones where people are kind of there and they they're they're indifferent as to what the entertainment is. Sometimes this happened in Sioux Falls a lot where people would win tickets on the radio mm. and they could have just as soon won tickets to uh the movies or whatever or you know, mm-hmm. but it happened to be the comedy club. So they would go to see the show and they didn't really give a fuck if they were there. Kind of more just wanted to get a little tore up and do something and that's fine but those kind of shows aren't necessarily the best because people they don't care if they get kicked out or whatever Mm -hmm. and that's always a dangerous dangerous game because if somebody actually doesn't give a shit then they're not gonna have fun uh so just kind of shows where people aren't excited about it like a corporate gig is another one of those where if you do like you know a show for like hulu or something and it's their Mm -hmm. like holiday party all the lights are on everyone's eating they're all like getting their bonuses and then they're like all right here's this comedian most of the time that you've never heard of sometimes they'll get like a bill burr or something and everyone's stoked but Mm. you know like i did a show for nike i did a show for nike one time and it was in their gym because the nike campus is in portland Mm. so it was in the it was in the gymnasium and it was all of their programming team so nobody wanted to see it it was the middle it was like noon on a monday and there were no chairs so everybody had to sit on the floor and I was like a teacher, no microphone, yeah. all the lights were on middle of the day. And that I'm just like, what in the fuck are it's we like doing? It's like an assembly. Here? It was You're going to tell them not to do drugs or something. And these are all grown-ups, successful grown-ups. They're programmers for Nike and so it's like mm. the design team and by the end of it, they had all spread out to the wall because that was the only place they could like brace their back. So yeah. it was just all the whole outside of this gym was lined with everybody sitting and probably a hundred feet away from me. And I was just screaming all these lame jokes at noon. Mm. So those, those are, I don't like shows where people, it seems like they're forced to be there because nobody should be forced into it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the other end, if it's, if it's a, a good crowd where everybody wants to be there, it's really all, I, again, I'll speak for me. That's all I need is I need to know that they want to be there, that they're excited for a show. And if they're open to it, they will have fun after, after a certain point, you're just like, yeah, I mean, these, you know, I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing. So if you want to enjoy it and you, you're you ready to laugh with someone, then you will. These, I mean, these jokes are, they're like a formula. They just, they do work. You yeah. just have to want them. You just have to want it to be able to work. So if somebody's wanting to have a good time, that's all I need for a good show for me personally. Mm. And what do you think are the best circumstances in your life where you want to see stand up? Are there sometimes you can think of it like reverse engineered or are there times when you're just like, I, the last thing I want to do is watch stand up right now. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, f- like for me personally, or just like in general, what do I think a good, like a person, when do they, when should they see stand up? Mm, I think it, yeah, that's interesting. As I talk to more comics, they're kind of saying they've given some answers like, I think people should not come to shows when they're doing this because then they become like hecklers or something. But I am more interested in like, do you 
the question might be, do you watch a lot of stand-up anymore? Or just uh, if you're on that show, you might watch some of the other people. Um, and then when do you think is a good time that you actually really want to see stand-up? Sure. Like if I'm if I'm on the show, I really don't watch anyone before my set. And then mm-hmm. after my set, I'll watch everybody. Um, but a lot, honestly, like a lot of times if, if I'm on a show it's more fun to hang out backstage with the pe- with the other people that are on the show because you all kind of have that same energy. Mm. So whether it's before or after your set, you're all in the back talking and that's more fun. So I don't, I don't watch a ton of stand up on the shows that I'm on. Mm-hmm. I love watching it when I'm not on the show. Cause mm. then, you know, it, if you're on the show, your mind is always kind of on your set. And like I referenced earlier, if I'm on the show and I'm watching someone before me and I see someone in the crowd who's gonna be a bummer then i just immediately get bummed so i don't even like to see the crowd really before my Mm. set so yeah i like to watch it when i'm not on the show then it is like a treat because that yeah it's fun it's so fun it's so pure it's so so enjoyable and so yeah i I love it i think people the better of a headspace you're in the more Mm -hmm. fun you're gonna have like i've you know you sometimes people like i just you know I got dumped today. I want to go see stand-up. And you're like, no, you don't. You want to go get shit-faced, which is fine. Let's go do that. Mm. Going to see stand-up, if you're not in the mood to sit and be quiet, is is a bad idea. You have to be yeah. in the mood to sit and be quiet and watch. Like, you know, it's like a movie, but even quieter. You, just, you have to be <laughs> ready to chill. And so I think a lot of people underestimate how how much they're going to need to chill out and watch the show to enjoy it. Because Yeah, like, like a movie... Similar to a movie, I'll never understand that as a popular date option. I can never imagine going on a like a early date to stand up. Oh, and definitely not a movie because you can't talk. You don't get to know that person. Yeah, through I, that experience. I so I've always been a fan of dinner and a movie as as mm. dates go. Um, but the dinner, like you go to dinner and you you know you talk for hours, and then for a a movie, you know it's like you go to the movie. You can be quiet and then you have something to talk about afterwards. But that's me personally. Mm. Going to see stand-up on an early date is kind of wild because so many things can happen. Like, you know, what if they talk about abortion? And then, (laughs) or or like uh, anything, any like of the taboo topics. And it, you know, your date had, uh, had to have an abortion a month prior or like a divorce or any, or politics. And then you find Mm. out that you have wildly different views on politics. It's probably better to get that out in the air but you know it's not it's, i don't know i don't think it works a lot and then if you sit in the front you're on a new date you look like you're on a new date and you know a lot of times if someone's doing shitty they're just going to look at you and be like what are you guys first date and that just never never goes well yeah. i i think you should be in a good headspace to go see stand up and if you're in a bad headspace most of the time, I don't think I don't think it's gonna like cheer you up like you want it to. I think mm-hmm. doing something different would somewhere where you can be a little more aggressive. Go play video games, you know, go bowling, go something like that if you're in a bad headspace. But if you're if you're doing well, you're stoked, go see some stand up. You'll love it. Mm. I saw you promoting recently you did get to do a set outdoors, right? Yeah, it was fun, man. I did a show at Helium in Portland and it was great. It was safe. Outdoors, distanced, um, people, masks were on and off, but people were drinking. But every time they didn't have a drink, masks were on. Mm. And I felt great about it. And I really did, I realized that I miss it a bunch. It was real mm. fun. 
So I was, I was pumped. Did you feel like you had to prepare? I, cause it, you hadn't done it in so long. So I just wonder what was it like? Uh, it wasn't a totally daunting experience. It wasn't real negative oh. and terrible or how'd it go? No, it was fine. I mean, I definitely could have, that's one thing if I had to, uh, my flaws as far as a stand-up comedian go, mm. I do I do not prepare nearly as much as I I should, and mm-hmm. it definitely shows. But it's probably also part of my process. So I, I could have prepared much more, but I had I probably did twenty twenty five minutes of stuff I've never done before, and I you know I looked at the notes, but everybody was kind of on board because it has been eight months. So it was it was fantastic. I had a really good time. It wasn't scary or anything. It never. Those days are kind of gone as far as like normal stand up for me. It, it, it doesn't really get scary at all. But, mm. you know, like if I were to do a set on uh, Corden or something, that would be scary for me. But just doing stand up in general is there's no real uh, negative nerves anymore. It's all mm. fun and I'm excited. So, yeah, that's, it's never like daunting or scary or anything. Do you remember the last set you did before the pandemic started? I was trying to think of that and I I really I don't. I mean it was probably up in Portland. I I bet it was like uh at like Mississippi Studios or something like that mm. up in Portland. Um I remember doing a like a set at Thanksgiving that was a blast. We did that we did do Mississippi Studios and it was like me and uh Ian Carmel and uh, I think David Bory was on the show. So I think the whole podcast crew and then like some people from Portland and it was so fun, like such a good time. So I, that was the last one I like legit remember, but I imagine there was some in January and February that I'm, that I'm forgetting about. Mm. As far as your comedy career, do you feel like Portland's kind of your comedy home? Yeah, absolutely. I feel, even if you move, I feel like wherever you, you spent your formative years, that's your that's your home. Like Helium is definitely all of our home clubs, even though I worked at a club in Sioux Falls years before that. Mm. That place is gone. And they they were they they had like the first owners were a dream and the second owners were not good to comedians and they didn't really care. They were fine people, they just didn't give a shit. So mm. Helium has always really treated us well as far as comics go. They try to nurture you and help you out, and it's like the first place that we like all we all hung out. We would hang out after the show and you hear that um, when comedians talk about like the hangout, that's where we would always do that at Helium. So mm-hmm. I definitely consider Portland my comedy home. I love it here. Yeah, you you started by saying, uh, kind of joking that, of course, Portland's not a war zone like it's being depicted uh, by certain news outlets to the rest of the country. But uh, do you feel like in the time that when you lived there and had your kind of formative years in comedy, uh I guess thinking pre-pandemic, uh, did things become very different with the Portland comedy scene? What kind of changes did you see? And I wonder if that's always kind of been a, um, cause you get a lot of famous now famous comics coming out of there. Yeah. Uh, like Ron Funches, I think is from Portland that might, a lot of listeners would know. Yeah. Funch, uh, he lived in, so he never, you know, he's, yeah, he's a Portland kid, but he lived in Salem for most of oh. the time. So it was, like half hour away, but he was mm. always here. Like Ian, uh, Carmel, Shane Torres. Um, there's a lot of extremely successful comedians. And when we 
we kind of all started together. Bree Pruitt is another one that's fantastic. Mm. Um, but we all started together, and after, I don't know, after a little while, I remember thinking too, and I'm, uh, I hope this doesn't sound ridiculous. I'm, I'm definitely the least, <laughs> quote unquote, successful out of anybody. So that I say this mm. as that person, but it, I knew something good was happening. Like when we'd we'd do a show, and I'd be like, "This was killer," and you could just, you can just tell there was like a vibe, and and I was right. I mean, everybody, everybody on these shows ended up doing what crazy things and so mm. yeah you could we could all kind of tell back in the day that there was something really special and good going on in portland it was probably like like eight seven eight years ago where that was extremely apparent and then everybody peeled off and slowly kind of moved away and did their own thing and now there's like a new generation of comedians in town that are doing the same thing yeah yeah what are your thoughts about doing zoom comedy stuff online have you tried much of that I know you were on some of the faded uh, live streams, but you just kind of like dropped in and said, hi, uh, you know, you didn't really do a straight stand-up set. So uh, have you tried that at all? I did. I've done one and it was fine. They're fine. If you, mm-hmm. it, It's like for me personally, it's hard to do stand-up to nobody. So yeah. there's uh, some people love it. Some people have their stand-up formulated that way like some people are kind of set up punch set up punch that Mm. can work over zoom personally i think it's harder for me so i have shied away from it i think there's definitely room for character work on zoom calls there's like we do live streams of our podcast which Mm. have been great because that's kind of what a podcast is anyways it's just a live stream that you're not watching live so Mm. you know i i'm Far be it from me to stifle anybody's creativity. So mm-hmm. if, if somebody wants to do a, a Zoom stand-up show and they have the means and they have a, a people that want to watch, to me, that is fantastic. Personally, I have not done that many. I've only done one because it's odd for me. Uh, mm. So, you know, I don't disagree with it. For me personally, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the most part, I'll do a couple. You know, I'm, I, I actually just emailed a couple people and... I think I'm going to do a couple, but I'll, I will probably do like just write jokes specifically for that bunch mm-hmm. of one-liners or whatever I'm feeling. I've did this youth pastor thing last time. So, uh-huh. you know, there's, there's fun ways to do it for sure. Yeah. You've joked on your podcast often, um, that you, you, your joke is that you don't do TV, uh, like as a choice, but <laughs> it's definitely a joke. I would love to. Yeah, you're referencing, yeah, just the fact that uh, you're on that path, but um, uh, it just comes up when people list their credits or whatever. But uh, were you, um, you were doing the whole bit like auditions, you were, you're, can you see yourself on like a sitcom? Is that kind of the way you're trying to go with it? Or what were your kind of goals with stand-up or was it just to do stand-up? You know, I never really, and I feel like a lot of people don't, I never really had a clear path. I don't think, mm. and some people do, but I, for the most part, anyone I knew anyways, they never set out with the goal that I'm going to be uh, this. This is what I want to do. Mm. I think when you get into stand-up, you don't know exactly where it's going to take you because rarely is it going to be stand-up. Rarely is stand-up going to be how you make real money or make a real living. So mm. stand-up for a lot of people is the gateway into... Uh, you know, writing or acting or like commercial success. Like, you know, people, I know a few people that do 
30 commercials a year, stuff like that. So mm. there's tons of ways it can go. And for me, I never really, I'm a terrible actor. I've known that my whole life. I, I hate auditioning. I've only done it a handful of times. Mm. I didn't try to audition for a bunch of stuff. Uh, I would do it like if somebody, you know, asked me or if, and I would fill out packets for writing for shows, but I'm not a great writer. <laughs> I mean, mm. I can write, but I'm not, you know, I just, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a writer. I would. So yeah, I, with this podcast, I just, thankfully it just worked out to where that's what I do. And that was my path. But I, I had no idea five years ago that I'd be doing a podcast that would uh, make a living, you know? So I'd, I think people start off doing stand-up with the intention to do stand-up for a living, and that's rarely the case. You end up kind of falling into other things, mm -hmm. which is all a fun surprise because, you you know, you don't know where it's going to take you. And then, oddly enough, it's like, you know, Eminem going to the Nike store and getting free Nike shit. Oddly enough, after you make it doing something else, then people will come see your stand-up mm. when you don't necessarily, like, need them to for a lot of people. So yeah. You know, it's funny how it comes full circle like that, but yeah, ideally I just do stand up in the podcast. That I would love. That's all I want to do and skateboard. Yeah. And listening to the older back catalog of AFE, there's you can hear the progression of because uh, you would kind of update people on it as you were still working at a call center, I think. Dog. And then eventually I mean, yeah, yeah. started the Patreon mm -hmm. and like for me and then like a couple of my friends that listen to the podcast, we were on board. We're just like, get on the Patreon. These guys should not have to work at a call center like this. Uh, it's cool that we have that kind of platform now where you can. Um, I, I'm not saying I don't know. And I'm not saying that it pays your bills. But oh, no, uh, it, if it you can absolutely, get, absolutely you, does. And that again, I any everyone's got to work. We all need jobs. I've never. I will never be above a job and I will never claim that and I will never not work if I have to. I will mm. complain about work plenty, just like yeah. everybody can. But I will, yeah, through through that, it was funny because I moved to LA and essentially got rid of my car and I got a job, like two, two things I didn't want to do. And mm. I did. And it is to, it's a comment, it's like a, it's something that I don't think people quite understand is when somebody does uh, start to do well in the in the industry whatever it be like a podcast let's say mm. and it seems like maybe there's not a ton of work that goes into that because there's now it's it's you know we we record once a week and i do other stuff but it seemed on the outside looking in seems like i might have it easy but you look at you look at everything that led up to that and it's the farthest thing from easy that you can imagine so mm -hmm. yeah like living in la which is already a bummer it's depressing uh -huh. If you're not doing well, then you work at a call center and then, you know, you, your car dies and like all this stuff really happened. Like my car died. I I couldn't get to work. So I had to walk to work every day mm. and then I'd have to run home and we do the podcast and I'm lucky for all that. And then, yeah, at a certain point you get to do that and I will be forever grateful for anybody who listens to the show or is a fan of, of any kind because, yeah, that's 100% what's happening. I get to do a podcast for a living strictly because people enjoy it and that's that that will be forever humbling to me anybody who mm. doesn't think that is insane mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's been cool to watch the or to hear the progression of everybody's career with the podcast. Um, and really awesome that you guys are keeping it up during the pandemic. It honestly is probably easier. You don't have to get people in the same room. Yeah, it's uh, pretty you wild. You it. can people are a little a little quicker to be like, yeah, I'll be on. I'm not doing shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's tight. You know, another thing just to touch on it. I listen to some of the old ones rarely because I cringe when I hear myself. But I and podcasting is something you can actually get better at. Like as a person, mm. you can get better at it. And I never knew that until we started doing this because now it's like we all kind of figure out a rhythm and we have each other kind of dialed. But in the beginning, you're like, you're trying to force jokes and da-da-da. Mm. Um, that's one great thing about Ian is he's uh, such a freak talent that it's always come so natural to him, just mm -hmm. everything. So it's fun to to be around that energy because it, I feel like that helps more than anything is when you're around somebody who you're like striving to, to like compete with or stay at the level of, mm. then it, it makes it much easier. But yeah, that was fun to notice getting better at podcasting. Yeah. And Ian Carmel, he's come up maybe a few times on this podcast, uh, just cause he's like a freak talent of <laughs> his reference. Well, like I, you can tell he's very well read, but so quick. I think that's like, I, if I had a word, totally. I would say he's so quick. Yeah, man, he's just so smart, well-read, like you said, and well-spoken. Um, mm. The confidence, I mean, I could I could talk about it all day, but it's just like this perfect storm where you're like, fuck you, dude. Everything's <laughs> on point. And uh, yeah, it's fun. It really, like sometimes I'll see him get shook whenever, sometimes, rarely, and I'm just like, okay, cool. It can happen. Yeah. He's just so, <laughs> he's just so good at everything. I love it. And, I, you know, he's like my brother, so I will. Mm. Yep. I'll be happy. That was the best thing about moving to Portland, honestly, was um, just the people that I met. He was one of them, my fiance. I think about if I never would have moved here, where, where I would have been. I'm sure mm. I'd be thrilled. I'm, I'd probably still be doing stand-up. I, hopefully, I'd be moderately successful, but I just can't picture anything different than the way it is right now. Mm. It's fun. I, I start with the bad one to then get to the good one. Uh, what is your worst memory related to stand-up? You know, I don't have a, I don't have a ton. Um, there's never been, I've never like almost gotten a fight or anything. There's one time, cause they're all, they're all just kind of the same version of this one thing that happened. It's usually somebody who's being a dick, mm. but I was at this place called Harvey's in Portland, which is a real, it's just run. Well, it was at the time it was run very poorly. They didn't police the crowd. So the crowd could talk, they could do whatever they wanted. They couldn't like throw things, but. Short of that, there was no, they didn't do anything. They didn't even mm -hmm. have bouncers in the room. So there was a guy on his phone and I remember I was, cause the stage is also like five feet high, which I don't like. It's you're way above everybody. Mm -hmm. So he was on his phone and I was just like, Hey, what are you doing? And he just, he's like, I'm fucking bored. And, he, and I was like, <laughs> and I, you know, I was as cool as I could be, but I was like, you can dip, man. You can just leave. I, I sure, certainly don't want you here. And mm -hmm. he stood up. He stood up and he was, he's like, I'll come up on stage. And I was like, no, you won't. And then, so he was, he was up ready, like flexing. And then these two dudes next to me on stage, they looked like on, on the ground, they were just like, nah, he ain't going to do anything, dude. We got your back. And I was like, nobody, it's not going to be a fucking melee in here. We're not going to like, <laughs> this is insane. And that, that was like 15 minutes. I had to spend dealing with that. Nobody came up. Nobody did anything. I asked the management after the show and they didn't even know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So that was, for me, they're all versions of that, but that was the one that popped up where I was, that was, 
It's so stressful. You think you're going to get in a fight on the stage, and then you're like, I'm 35. I'm going to get in a fist fight yeah. with a stranger. And then these two people trying to be cool and help, but then you're like, I don't want that kind of help. I don't, like, I don't want this guy to get his ass kicked for no yeah. reason. He's just he's probably, like I said before, he's probably one of those people that did not want to go to a stand-up show mm-hmm. and treated it as such. And I'm sure he was a, a real dickhead in real life. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying in general, just because you're a dick, you, you don't need to have the shit kicked out of you. So that was, yeah, that was, that was the worst. And that's happened like that probably... I don't know, 30 times in, in my 10 years of stand-up, which isn't bad, and it's never mm. turned into a fight or anything, so could be I much worse. Too people, it's kind of what I said before, where just to say it simply, you have a very nice presentation and like a nice guy vibe. Yeah. Um, again, I'm coming to this, try not to fan out too hard, but you know, I've listened to a lot of hours oh, of AFE, and this, you, uh, you've also expressed, and you kind of tell a bit of those stories every now and then, you do kind of come from like a rough, a rough upbringing. <laughs> like David Borey makes the joke about it. You're from a white ghetto, but like, and I'm not just saying the Taekwondo and the nunchucks either. I mean that like they, uh, somebody is just kind of, who's going to start shit with you on stage looking at you might seem like a, just a very simple decision to make a start, but you're not like a pushover. I, I think my question, I don't have a question there. I just kind of, it's, in- I like to hear, <laughs> no, I like I to you. hear your um, references to, you did kind of overcome some things. You're not like some of the typical type of stand up story. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I've been in, I've been in fights. I've definitely had my ass kicked and I feel like that. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people haven't. And a lot of people think that nothing's, that's the, that's the, the big thing. The biggest thing that you see at comedy clubs that you would not, Mo- the people are shocked when they see this or the amount of people that get so close to fighting after yeah. after the shows like the the aggression that can come out of people it's almost always men i've seen i've seen a few women but it's almost always men and it almost always comes from uh, some sort of embarrassment where during mm-hmm. the show they'll either get too drunk and get kicked out by the club like the the door people or the management will kick them out or the comedian will make them look stupid because they Again, for the most part, comedians, they first of all, they have a microphone. So even if you are quicker or sharper, you're never going to win that that fight that you're looking for because they're always going to have a microphone and be able to talk over you and you're always mm-hmm. going to, you're just going to look bad. And that, so people get wildly embarrassed and then they want to fight afterwards. It's, it's, but it never happens is the thing. Nobody will ever do anything. Mm. And I feel like that's where the line is that, I've crossed that line with enough people where they've done something and, you know, and vice versa. And it's like, I know where that line is. I know what it takes for me to cross it, to do something, to actually get mad enough for that to happen. And it is a lot. Yeah. But once it, once it happens, then yeah, you know, it sucks. It's on. And I, I don't ever want to feel that way ever. I hate that feeling. Mm. So yeah, there's, that's where all that. Plus I just think I'm nice. I'm, I'm calm, but like, that's where that all comes from is I've, I've had, you know, I don't want my ass kicked ever again. <laughs> and, mm. and I don't, and I don't ever want to hit anyone ever in the face ever. That sounds like the worst thing in the world to me to do, but mm-hmm. you know, it, if it has to happen, then it's going to happen. I just, you know, nobody ever gets to, my point is nobody ever gets there. People will talk and they'll huff and they'll puff, especially at comedy clubs. That's where you get the biggest, the biggest tough guys who are like, hold me mm. back. It's where you, you would not believe some of the stuff that I've seen 
these 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 like drunk idiots after the show. Cops, we've had people. I've had people show us their badge. Uh, at the at the same time, Colin's like using racist racist shit to the management, showing their badge, and you're like, bro, that's yeah. happened. There was a guy. There was this one guy. He had like a. He looked so gnarly. He had a, like a spiderweb tattoo on his forehead. Mm-hmm. He was so gnar- just like a gnarly looking scary dude, and. I saw him and his wife get kicked out, and I was like, "Shit, this is this is gonna be tough." Because as a comic, you're not you know you're not required to do anything, but I, yeah. I you know I, I I always want things to go smoothly in general. So I, mm-hmm. I you know so I was just paying attention, and then this guy came out and he was he started to say something, and then his wife just cut him off and started saying all this racist stuff to the manager, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, it's her." And so <laughs> they ended up they had to remove her. They had to have like. Uh, some girls come and like not fit. I mean, just touch her a little bit and be like, you have to leave. And then the mm-hmm. guy came back in, spiderweb tattoo on his head, and he was just like, I'm so sorry, I can't believe. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where you're like, no shit. All right, well, there you go. Mm. Yeah, it's always it's always something, man. It's always some sort of weird embarrassment that takes takes people to this point where they feel like it just reduces you to like this child mentality where you're just. You know, like instead of crying, a kid, a lot of times if they fall down on the playground, they're going to like want to hit something so they don't have to mm-hmm. show that they're crying. Same thing. Like if an adult gets kicked out of somewhere, they don't want to just say they're sorry. They want to, well, it's not my fault. I want my money back. And you're like, dude, you you threw up, you know, you got to go. You, yeah. You threw, you threw a bottle at someone. You can't just, that can't just happen. This is life, you know? Mm. Do you ever do shows that have no alcohol or uh, do you think that can be a uh successful comedy setting i wonder because there's some it's kind of like i've talked to some people who we kind of pointed out in some other episodes that the uh the connection between comedy and alcohol now seems like a marriage that can't be broken up um yeah but there are there must be some like alt spaces that don't have alcohol i wonder if you think it's integral to it being kind of a nightlife activity people are looser and having fun i think it it definitely is hard to do a show where nobody's drinking um mm. not to say that you can't do it you should be able to do a show for uh almost anyone you know not not anyone but almost anyone if you're if you're like good good at what you do then you should be able to make it work mm. i do feel like the best kind of show is with people who know how to handle themselves like have a couple responsibly those kind of things because it just like helps you feel like you're out if you have mm. Not even, you don't even have to have a, just, you know, Coke or something, but like the option to have some drinks if you want to definitely helps. Like, you know, if I go watch stand up, I don't, I'm not going to get hammered and heckle, but I like to have a couple of drinks. It's fun. Loosens you up just in general. Um, but yeah, I don't think everybody should have to be plowed. I think it's a nice fine line, like a, you know, like a wedding. You had some people are having some drinks. Some people are not. I think that's how stand up can be. Hmm. We talked about some of the negative things that can happen and have happened for you in stand-up. What is your best stand-up related memory? Uh, you know, I'm almost all of them. Almost the shows that just go well. I remember when I moved to Portland, I got to do a show at this theater, the Aladdin Theater. That was the first theater I'd ever done. And it mm. was sold out. And I got to open for one of my one of my good friends. And it was super fun. And just that feeling of the first time where you're like, oh my gosh, these 
all these people, you know, they don't know who I am. They don't give a shit. And uh, they're laughing and they're, they're excited. They're having fun at these jokes. And then when I moved from Portland, we had a going away show at that same theater and I was headlining. And that was another where it equally, I had it with Amy Miller, who's also another hilarious comedian from Portland. And yeah. we, we like co-headlined the show and sold the whole place out. And that I was just like, no way. It came full circle. Like when I moved here, I was opening for somebody who had sold it out. And here I am, sold it out. Uh, everyone's having a good time. This is great. Felt very loved. So that was that for me. That was the, the one that sticks out where it's just like kind of a milestone, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, with the podcast, uh, you hit some bigger milestones. You guys had a tour. Um, like I said before, I hit 200 episodes. I imagine with the podcast, too, uh, there must be some high points in that kind of short but ongoing career with All Fantasy Everything. What were some of the absolute moments where you decided, like, yes, this is awesome that I'm doing this. This is a good thing. Oh, for sure. So that whole tour was phenomenal. And seeing the love in different cities, we got to have Atmosphere, who's a rapper. His name's Slug, Sean. He's my hero. He got he did the show in Minneapolis. And that, for me, was like, I uh, can't even, couldn't even wrap my mind around it. You know, I'm mm. sitting there talking to this guy who's in the green room on my show. I was just flabbergasted. And mm. Ian is the one who asked him and hooked it all up. I couldn't. I was shocked. So for me, that's one of the best memories of my whole life. But, mm. uh, you know, just this tour, like we did a show in Brooklyn at the Bell House, which you hear about other people's, that people that do shows there. And it's very humbling. Uh, we did a show in Columbus where the power went out. So we did the show in the parking lot. Everybody was on board. Mm-hmm. There's tons of them. The, you know, a lot of it comes down to like the genuine support that you feel from people. And, you know, if people like what you do, we do shows in Portland and we'll hang out for hours and talk to people, take photos and stuff. And the fact that people even care to stay after the show, to shake your hand every time that happens is just, but just mind blowing where I'm just like, God, it feels that'll, that'll gas up my tank for a year. Every time I shake someone's hand who tells me I did a good job and means it, you know, I could do this forever just on that. We can kind of uh, transition and wrap up here talking about the comic of the week you suggested to me was uh, Phil Schalberger. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about Phil and his comedy? Phil is one of the funniest performers, comedians I've ever seen, ever. And I've seen a lot. And I don't throw that around lightly. I'm not saying that because uh, he's a friend or anything like that. I'm saying it because he's... What he does is like nothing I've ever seen. He's kind of transitioned from stand-up into more performance, but Mm. he does a lot of character work and the effort that he puts into it, he's always got PowerPoints, slideshows. It's it's just like nothing I've ever seen. And I can watch it over and over and over and it always, always kills me. And he's also one of the people that no matter what you're doing, if you're a comedian, you'll go watch and Mm. you will tell... Like when someone asked me if I should, you know, what should I go, who should I go see in Portland or before all this, I would say, find a show that Phil's on, go see him. He never phones it in. He never doesn't try. Uh, he doesn't party or anything. He's never hung over to, you know, cause he just, he's so motivated to do what he does and do it well that nothing else creeps in there to mess it up. So he's just, and he's the nicest guy. I mean, just like painfully funny and very humble, 
not it's it's just a lot of qualities that I look for just in a person in general. He has all of them. Plus, he's just a phenomenal performer on top of that. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank man. you for uh, sharing me with him and then my listeners, and I'll put up information to uh, get his social medias and everything on the yeah. show description. So, yeah. yeah, thanks so much. Yes, That's... everybody, check Phil out. Is you'll you will not regret it. I'm telling you, it's fantastic. Great. And then, Sean, is there anything you want to plug? Um, I'll put all your social media links and then a link to Sean's album, uh, The Buck Starts Here, is yeah. on Spotify. Is there a better way to reach it that kind of gives you more of the share of it? Oh, whatever works for you. You can go by, there's flasks uh, in a digital download on a specialthingrecords.com. So if you want to go purchase it, you can get a flask and the album. Um, listen to All Fantasy Everything. Uh, you know, we've gone over that pretty well. So just mm. be, just in general, be as good as you can right now. It's tough. So everybody finds something that stokes you out. And if I can help with anything that I put out, then great. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for making time for me. And thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, my friend. It was, it was fun. I always like talking. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word, on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging. Swinging.